welcome to this Halloween special from Neozaz.com, Matt's Crummy Halloween Comics Collection, part of our 2020 Halloween celebration. I am Matt, and this is the show where I take a closer look at one of the comics from my collection that is built from the comics that most people pass over, even the ones in the 25-cent boxes. That's if you can find these boxes these days. This is a special run of that series where I'll be looking at all Halloween or horror-themed titles during this year's Halloween celebration. And in today's episode, I will be going through the DC Elseworlds story, Batman Two Faces. This isn't the first Elseworlds comic covered by Neozaz. The first one was Superman War of the Worlds, and that was a collaboration with Neozaz and Back to the Bins on the Two True Freaks Network before Matt's crummy comics collection was even a thing. And not to give too much away, it's not going to be the last Elseworlds comic that's going to be featured. It's not even the last in this Halloween season, but we'll get to that later, much later. If you're not directly familiar with the Elseworlds line, you can probably guess what the basis of these stories are from that title. These are stories that put popular DC characters in settings and worlds and even times that are outside of their normal canon. These stories give the comic creators opportunities to create some really imaginative what-if scenarios by not necessarily binding them to the current roles of the character or worrying about dealing with any current storylines. Batman and Superman, as you could probably imagine, have been in a lot of these Elseworld tales. There's so many, in fact, that reading all the titles just for Batman alone would probably fill up the entire usual time allotment for this episode. So here's just a few titles I have on my short list that were potential subject matters for this Halloween run of Matt's Crummy Comics. Batman and Dracula, Red Rain. This is where Batman faces off with Dracula. Batman Houdini, The Devil's Workshop. Batman teams up with Harry Houdini to fight child-stealing vampires. Batman, Castle of the Bat, a story based off the Frankenstein story. Gotham by Gaslight, Batman fights Jack the Ripper. And Batman Nevermore, Batman teams up with Edgar Allan Poe to solve a series of Raven-themed murders. Now, that is barely scratching the surface of all the Elseworld Batman titles, and even more so, the entire run of the Elseworld series. This is merely my short list of Batman ideas, and as you can see, this is a subject that can come back in many more Halloween seasons if I do more Matt's crummy Halloween comics in the future. But Batman Two-Faces, let's get back to that. That's the one we're talking about. Batman Two-Faces was published in November of 1998. It's inspired by another classic literary work of horror, but I'll save that until after the discussion because it might ruin a bit of the story here. It is a one-off 68-page story, so we've got some work to do here. So let's get right into it, and we'll discuss the cover. For the cover, I mean, I, I guess I'm having a hard time describing what I'm looking at. It'll be in part or it'll be part of the cover art for this post on uh, newsaz.com where, where this episode is going to be posted. If you need to take a look at it, it's kind of a, I guess, minimalistic as term in terms of detail and colors, but yet it's also, I think you would call it an optical illusion. That's the part I'm having, uh, I'm struggling talking about. So I'll do my best here. So on the left side, you have the profile of Batman. You have his cowl. It kind of is jetting over his forehead a little bit, and the nose piece is 
extended out over his mouth. His mouth is, his lips are tight pursed and his very <laughs> prominent jawline is drawn down to the bottom of the uh, corner of the page. Filling in the right side is another profile. And if you know Batman lore, it's obviously the Joker. It's a wide mouth grinned, green hair, green eyes, white skin, and some very sharp features as well. Now, the thing about it is his face is upside down and it fits perfectly in with that profile. The nose is fitting over the nose and under the cowl and his forehead is, uh, I guess, uh, flanking Batman's jaw. So, I mean, you could flip it. Actually, you can flip it over. I just noticed this. Um, it, at the top, it says Batman Two Faces Elseworld. And if you flip it over, you have the Joker on the left and Batman on the right and Joker is... Uh, is uh facing upright and at the top of that it says batman two faces else worlds as well so you can well you can ask us you can hold this any way you want not really because if you held it upside down when you flip the pages the pages don't correspond with this motif that you have to read them one way unless you can read upside down you can do what you want i'm not going to stop you a couple other details on here there is a, a coin of series of i think it's supposed to be one coin in the midst of a series of flips at the bottom right hand corner or the top left hand corner of the joker side of the uh comic and of course the usual stuff it's issue number one it is the only one it was 4.95 when it came out i'm reasonably sure i didn't pay that at all and release month or published month november 98 which we discussed so that's the cover i mean not much to it yet hard to describe so kind of cool into the story now the story starts with a full page image of a horse-drawn carriage that pulls up to a large 19th century stone castle-like building and this is also the title and credits page and as we know it's batman two faces and the credits go written by dan abnett and andy lanning penciler anthony williams inker tom palmer colorist lee lowridge Letterer, Will Schubert. Associate Editor, John B. Gordonfinkel. And Editor, Dennis O'Neill. We see a man enter the Iceberg Lounge. This man is Peregrine White, Esquire, proprietor of the Daily Planet Associated Metropolis Press. And he's arrived for his dinner appointment with Commissioner Gordon. Dinner has concluded and the two men sit by the fireside as Gordon prepares to tell White one of his stories direct from his strange cases. On the next page, we have a page from a newspaper. And first off, it tells us where we are, but more specifically when we are. The, the paper is the Gotham Daily Spectator. And this particular edition is from Friday, September 17th, 1886. There's a couple articles that are kind of acting as a prologue to this story. Articles of the newspaper page you're seeing. And the first tells of millionaire Bruce Wayne presenting the Twilight Orchid in his new flower exhibit. It goes on to give some details that this is the first Twilight Orchid imported from the Far East. It's a flower that is remarkable for its exquisite color and aroma by day. Then by night, it falls into a mutated, disgusting uh, drab noxious weed of some kind so it's got one form a day and one form by night basically the second article is about the maniacal criminal two-faced striking a jewelry store and making off with ninety-seven thousand dollars worth of gold and precious stones and then we turn the page and we're actually 
going into the story proper now. So now the next page, our story really starts, and it starts with Bruce Wayne arriving at the Gotham Botanical Gardens, and he's greeted by a character named Miss Isley. As they make their way through the garden, they're greeted by Commissioner Gordon, who explains that because all of uh, Gotham's great and good, those are his words, are at this event that he felt it best to increase the police presence. But since he ran into Bruce Wayne at this event, he also wanted to take that opportunity for them to discuss some ideas about the maniacal Two-Face that he has come up with. Wayne admits still being in the midst of pursuing Two-Face himself, and he's happy to comply. But first, he wants to take a good look at that extraordinary Twilight Orchid that we were just told about in that newspaper prologue. Again, in case we missed it, Miss Isley notes that it lives naturally in both the light and dark, but in two different forms, and that they're going to be able to learn a lot about this phenomenon by studying an actual example. In the midst of all this, there is a zeppelin floating overhead, and the botanical garden is glass-roofed. And that's important because in the next panel... Two-Face and his henchmen come crashing through from that Zeppelin into the gardens. Bruce Wayne tries to step in immediately and physically stop Two-Face, but Two-Face almost laughingly says, My old friend, you are most miserably out of your league, and he drops Wayne to the floor with, I can't even tell if it's a punch or a shove. I think it's supposed to be a little ambiguous, look more like a shove to show how much Two-Face can overpower him in this particular story. Two-Face is there, as far as we can tell, solely to steal the orchid. That's all he takes with him. He uncovers it, he holds it up to his nose, smiles, and then starts to leave. And at this point, Gordon warns Two-Face that he's surrounded by police and can't get away. Two-Face admits that it's true if he tried to escape alone, but he grabs Miss Isley, taking her as hostage, and makes his way back up the Zeppelin ladder. As the Zeppelin begins to fly away, Bruce Wayne does manage to jump and catch onto the last rung of the ladder, but he can't keep his grip, and he falls to the ground. Once safely away, Two-Face decides it's time to flip the coin of fate to determine what to do with Miss Isley, and apparently does not come out good because after looking at the coin, he pushes her from the Zeppelin and to her death. In the next page, we are now back at what is specifically noted as Wayne Mansion, which I'm not sure if that's what it always is in Batman, because I always hear Wayne Manor in that narrator voice from the original Batman series. I think the 1960s Batman series, that's just something I learned recently that that was in the 60s. For some reason, I was not born in the 60s. Let's get that out of the way. Uh, I always thought that I was watching those episodes as they came out as a child. Well, now, knowing that it's a product of the 60s, it's pretty painfully obvious as an adult, but I was just a kid. So back at Wayne Mansion, uh, Bruce Wayne is recovering from his injuries and lamenting about the day's events. His butler, Alfred Pennyworth, tries to comfort him by saying that Harvey Dent, now known as Two-Face, is not the same man that was once Wayne's friend and confidant. But this isn't much comfort to Wayne, and he blames himself not only for Miss Isley's death, but for creating this entire situation in the first place by bringing the Twilight Orchid to Gotham. And then he confessed that he brought the flower solely in hopes to find a cure for his old friend, Harvey Dent. Wayne is still holding out a little hope that he can distill a drug from this flower's dual nature to repair that chemical imbalance that Dent suffers from. 
And it's at this point in the story, we learn that Miss Isley's death wasn't entirely in vain. She tore the orchid from Two-Face's hand as he pushed her from the Zeppelin. They found it in her hand when they recovered her body, and now Bruce Wayne has it in his uh, underground slash basement laboratory in this particular world, I guess we could say. We know what we're talking about here. It's a cave. Might be a bat there. And that might be in the story later. I don't remember. I made these notes a little while ago. At this point in the story, we've got an interesting story element that I'm not sure is how to uh, how to translate into a, a description without having it right in front of you to see. We're in narration panels, but it's not the usual narration panels you get in the comic. These are pieces pulled from a handwritten statement that was uh, written by Bruce Wayne and delivered to Commissioner Gordon post what we're actually seeing in the frame. It's it's his recollection and some imagery of what that is. It's a little, it's not unusual to have narration panels, but it's a little bit of a twist on there. And now we know that Bruce Wayne has told commissioner Gordon something, but we haven't got to that final point yet. So it puts a little bit of a, uh, your, your, your mind is ready for, there's something that's going to happen here, but we don't know what, because this is a little different. In this statement, Wayne is explaining how he's worked tirelessly in his private chambers beneath his mansion. He's worked countless hours and night, only being able to keep track of passage of time when Alfred would deliver meals. In later visits, Alfred would begin to compare Bruce Wayne to a cave-dwelling creature, like maybe a bat, as he's shunning the light entirely these days. But this work did result in an elixir created from the Twilight Orchid. And it was one that Bruce Wayne was confident enough to test on himself. And he did. And it worked. Immediately, the potion increased Bruce Wayne's strength, senses, and speed. With this new found sense of power and strength, Bruce Wayne was ready to wage war against the criminal element of Gotham and Two-Face with that same level of theatrics that Harvey Dent was using. And he'd follow Alfred's observation and fight as a Batman. This Batman begins his assault on Two-Face by confronting his gang members that are on a local dock, taking on a delivery, being brought ashore under the cover of night. He leaves one of the gang members unharmed in order to report what he's seen at Two-Face and deliver a note. Back at Two-Face's hideout, he's baffled by the description of a bat causing this issue. Then he reads the note that was delivered. It reads, I know where you live, Harvey. In his anger and rage from reading this, Two-Face brutally stabs his henchman to death right where he stands. Now we cut to a new location in the story. This is the Black Cat Brothel, where owner Selena Kyle is dealing with an abusive customer, pretty much fighting fire with fire. In the midst of this, enters a man with a distinctive hat and cane to hire one of Selena's girls for the evening. He only communicates in gestures, and when he speaks, it is only the words, he, he, he. He leads his escorts through the back streets of Gotham and soon brutally murders her with a knife in a nearby alley. Back at Wayne Mansion, Alfred is waking up Bruce Wayne. He slept until noon again, Alfred notes. Commissioner Gordon is here to see Wayne on an urgent matter. Gordon explains that there is a murderer in Gotham calling himself the Joker and has been committing brutal homicides throughout the city. Commissioner Gordon asks if Wayne can help in any way, and Wayne pledges to do all he can. That night, 
the Batman takes to the city roofs in search for information. Shortly into his quest, he's snared by Selina Kyle in a masked disguise. This Batman reveals himself as Bruce Wayne to Selina in order to stop her attack, and he explains that they're both looking for the same person and gives her a flare to signal him if she encounters the Joker. Later in the night, Selina Kyle comes across the Joker in the midst of a mass murder of five men. She jumps from the rooftop and hits him with a flying kick, knocking his hat off, pushing him into the light. We get a full-page look at the Joker. He has bright green hair, pale blue skin, red eyes, and this inhumanly wide grin. Selina and the Joker fight, and she cannot get the better of him despite her skills and speed. Selina takes to the roof, and the Joker follows. From the rooftop, Selina launches the Batman's flare, but the Joker rushes her and throws her from the rooftops to the streets below. Further in town, Batman sees the signal and commandeers a horse to follow it. He arrives to find a battered and broken Selina Kyle on the stone road. She has just enough energy to hold on and mutter what took you so long as Batman picks her up and carries her to the hospital. Later at Wayne Mansion, Alfred asks about Selina's condition. Bruce Wayne explains she'll never walk again, and if the surgeons can close the knife wounds, there might be a possibility she lives. We see more of the Bruce Wayne handwritten statement narrations, and now we're reading him explaining how he believes it was his natural shortcomings that kept him from finding the Joker. The elixir was starting to wear off from his body, and he was back to his getting towards his normal self and losing the abilities to track down this villain. He continues to write that he created another dose of the elixir, and he describes it as one that is far more powerful, too powerful, powerful enough to split a man in two. And when Wayne took it, it struck him completely unconscious. While we see his body unconscious on the floor, the narration continues that his mind was still working and that it was in a dream state that was helping him form a plan on how to finally find and put an end to the Joker. Next page, we return to the rooftops of Gotham where Commissioner Gordon is calling out for the person that summoned him to this meeting. From the shadows, Two-Face arrives, and Gordon asks, are you the one that sent me that letter? But Two-Face explains that he received a letter to meet at the same point in the city. This is where the Batman arrives. Batman was the one who sent the letter, and then he reveals himself to both Commissioner Gordon and Two-Face as Bruce Wayne and explains what he summoned them both here for. First, he requested Commissioner Gordon's presence to deliver him a written statement about this strange case. Second, he asked his old friend Harvey Dent to this location to deliver the serum that he concocted that will help him regain his chemical balance and subdue the personality Two-Face that's taken control. After he delivers both items, he warns them both that his time is very short and he needs their help one last time. He explains that the transformation is coming and the Batman transforms in front of their eyes into the Joker. A fight ensues between the Joker and Two-Face in the comic panels, but Wayne's handwritten statement is now narrating what's happening. The serum that's causing the extreme changes in Bruce Wayne from the Batman into the Joker is proven to Wayne that this is the cure for Two-Face. Two-Face, by his nature, experiences these swings, and the serum will counterbalance Two-Face back to Harvey Dent. As the two fight, the Joker transforms back to Bruce Wayne suddenly, and with this sudden switch, the two stumble and Bruce Wayne starts to fall off the top of the building, but Two-Face reaches out and catches him. 
Bruce Wayne begs Harvey to let him fall, but Harvey can't bring himself to do it. That is until Bruce transforms back into the Joker and Harvey lets go of his hand and he falls to the street below. Now alone on the rooftop, Two-Face holds a serum that Bruce Wayne handed to him and he considers what to do by a flip of the coin. We move ahead slightly into the future. It says that it's six weeks after the funeral for Bruce Wayne, and Commissioner Gordon has arrived on a crime scene where someone has already knocked out and secured the criminals before Gordon or any of his men have arrived. One of Gordon's officers note that someone's been doing a lot of their work for him lately, and Gordon states, you don't know the half of it, Bullock. You don't know the half of it. And then we see a fully masked Batman scaling the rooftops of Gotham. As we get a closer look, it's evident that it's Harvey Dent Two-Face now behind that mask. Back at the Iceberg Lounge in real time, I guess you'd say, as far as the comic pages go, Perry White is astonished by Gordon's tale. He says that if the public were to be told about this, it would sell a million copies of his paper. Gordon reminds Perry of the club rules and that the story must never leave the building. Considering this, Perry offers to tell Gordon a tale of his own, one filled with inhuman tragedy and blasphemous outrages against nature. Intrigued by this, Gordon leans back and says, Oh, do tell. And that is the end of this story. So let's talk about this a little bit. Right off the bat, I'm going to say I really like this. Despite the fact that it's kind of laid out in front of you before you even buy this comic, the cover tells you, that Batman's a Joker. I mean, if you know where these Elseworld stories tend to go and you see the cover and it doesn't take you long to figure out and, and to see the name of it too, Batman Two-Face, it's, it's not going to take you long to figure out we got a Jekyll and Hyde thing going here between these two characters. But even knowing that and before getting the big reveal, I found myself paging through this book pretty captivated. I did mention in the beginning of this, that it's 68 pages, so it's 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 definitely twice as long as a normal comic, even a little longer than some these days. But with it being twice the size of a typical comic, it reads a lot faster. It's not filled with a lot of unnecessary subplots or scenes. That each page in of the 68 pages is leads to the lends to the story. I should say it's it's there's really no wasted space in this. There were a couple surprises. The fact that um, Two-Face was the kind of the driving force behind, I, I should say helping Two-Face was the driving force behind this was a surprise. And I did like having Harvey Dent, obviously, I'm assuming taking the serum, unless he's causing as much harm as good as Batman, but I do like him taking over the role of Batman in this Elseworld. That was a nice touch. I did actually uh, really enjoy the ending of that. The inclusion of Selena Kyle, it was great. And making her Catwoman without ever saying Catwoman was another really good way to tell her story in this world. I will say my one real criticism about the storytelling was those handwritten statements. I the Conceptually, the idea was great. I, I kind of like the fact that we're reading his confession before we get to the big reveal as part of the story element. It was the visual aspect of it. A lot of these are really hard to read. Because they made them look like handwriting, and they I, I maybe possibly tried to make it look like period handwriting. I'm not sure, but it's cursive, and it's like I said, sometimes it's difficult to read. I'd have to kind of read the sentence without knowing what a word was to get the entire context, and then figure, and then then the word would fall into place. So it actually took those narrations 
uh, roughly two twice as long to read. I'm sure that's probably an exaggeration, but it took longer than a normal read through on most of them. But that's really my only real criticism. I like the I really like the artwork when you're with a character. There's always a specific kind of color palette when you're with Bruce Wayne as Bruce Wayne. It's kind of yellow and orange, kind of like just mid tone, almost uh, just nothing. Nothing real special about it. Not dark, not light. It's just kind of in the middle. And, and the, the, the yellow is kind of soft, which is what they tried to make Bruce Wayne. And they did in this story. Once he starts taking the elixir and turns into Batman, you've got black and dark purples and dark blues and very brooding like the character is. Conversely, uh, with Two-Face, there's often a lot of red because of uh, expressing his rage and he does murder somebody. There's a lot of red in that scene. Selena Kyle, there's a lot of purples and blues as well, especially when she's the the unnamed Catwoman character. Again, another creature of the night, much like Batman. We we do get the well, we're flat out told they're doing the same thing. When you get to the Joker, here's what's interesting. And if I'm reading too much into this, that's a possibility. But the Joker, it's like never the same twice. It's always chaotic. There's there's reds. There's greens there's there's even moments where there's it's it's the only time it's a stark white background is when it's a joker and i think that is um on purpose i think it's to show the other uh, utter chaos and just the really not be able to make any sense out of his mind in this particular version of the joker i think it's really well done and the only time you really have like a full spectrum of colors is when you're in the real world with uh, perry white and commissioner gordon talking which is exactly where you you are you're in the real world you're not telling the story anymore I really like this a lot. Um, Elseworlds can go sideways real quick. And there's a lot of, um, not only there's, there's Elseworlds from DC and I forgot what the Marvel one is these, like I said, they can go sideways real quick, quick, or they can be really good. And so far I've been lucky to focus on ones that are really good on my comic coverage. Now, the other one I talked about before was Superman war of the worlds. And that was for war of the worlds week. That was before Matt's crummy comics existed but that was really good too um but i have paged through some other else worlds and kind of stopped less than halfway through it because they're not as good so now on to that rating scale of crummy to classic i am going to say it's an else worlds must read it's damn close to classic really close i guess what might be a little short about it is that cover is you are given the twist before you even open that page but despite that it's still a really good read but then again what are you going to do on the cover to get people to buy it so i mean it's a it's a it's a balancing act and i'm glad i don't have to make those decisions i did mention that elseworlds uh superman war of the worlds more than once in this episode i'll mention it one more time because i never said where you could find it it's still online at neo's and it's part of our halloween and everything war of the worlds feeds it's I guess I could put it in Matt's Crummy Comics Collections as kind of the precursor episode. But if you're interested in hearing what we did with that episode, that was a panel discussion. It was me, Scott Gardner, Paul Spatero, and Bill Robinson, the three hosts of Back to the Bins on the Two True Freaks Network. We did that collaboration episode as part of the War of the Worlds Week and part of their Halloween coverage as well. So you can find that not only at neozaz.com, but twotruefreaks.com as well. And on that note... I'm going to say that that ending with Perry White and Commissioner Gordon does pay off later, and we're going to get to that later in this year's Halloween celebration. 
Not going to tell you any more about it, but you will probably figure out which episode that is when the title posts. If not, then it won't take long into the description of that episode of what's happening. So stay tuned this year for that. And with that, we've come to an end of this episode of Matt's Crummy Halloween Comics Collection and the end of this 2020 Halloween celebration episode. But this is not the end of our 2020 celebration this year at all. Check back all month long. For more Halloween fun coming, including some more crummy comics featured, as well as a lot of Halloween episodes and specials from everybody on the network. I will admittedly say a lot from me. I had some time on my hands earlier in this year to write these notes, but everyone always participates in one way or another. So check that out, neozaz.com, or on the Neozaz Celebrates Halloween feed at just about everywhere you find any podcast feeds. You can also check out our social media pages. We are Neozaz Podcast on Facebook and Neozaz on Twitter and Instagram. And of course, check out all the work we do, not only at Halloween, but the entire year at Neozaz.com. Everything we've done for over 10 years now is online for free, including all of our Halloween specials from past season. Lastly, let me say one more thing. I am Matt from Neozaz.com. Thank you for listening, and I will see you in that next episode. Hey!